It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Marlene berg Audi is an engineer by education, a financial services system professional by experience, a project manager by profession, and a quilter by passion. She believes in the KISS method and has incorporated this into her company name. I think Marlene is so wise. When she first started quilting on her new long arm, she made quilts for charity so that she could test different quilting styles before she started quilting for customers. Thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life, Marlene. Thanks, Paula. Great to be here. Good to have you. Let's start with where were you born and raised? I was born in Watsonville, California, which is a very small agriculture town on the Monterey Bay and raised there. My parents taught at a private boarding school and the faculty and staff lived on campus. The school is located on the only privately owned beachfront on the Monterey Bay, which was awesome. Neat. How fun. Can you share a special childhood memory? Well, because my parents were both teachers, we had vacations during the school year as well as summer break. And they were really big traveler proponents. They enjoyed the outdoors. And so every chance we got during the school year when they would have a like long weekend sort of break, we would go to Yosemite National Park. And so that's a favorite memory. I feel like I grew up at Yosemite, even though I didn't live there, because we would go two, three, four times a year and spend several nights camping and walking through the Awani and just having a lovely time in nature. And I treasure that time that I had with my parents. How neat. What a wonderful time to spend with your family, though. How long of a car drive was that over there? It took us probably at least four hours. In the wintertime, we would go up to Badger Pass, which is where I learned to ski which was just a very small hill, but you know, you got to learn somewhere. And that was really fun. And I had a really funny experience with my mom. She was a math teacher and she took a skiing lesson and we were all lined up and she just came like wiped out everybody in a line. And I was like, who's that lady? You know, I mean, I didn't even want to claim her as my own mother, but we found her going down one of the bunny hills and we'd come up behind her and push her, which would get her a little bit more acceleration. She could actually go a little bit better. And at the end of the day, she's like, you know, this is the best thing because I learned to have much more empathy for those students in my math class that just have a hard time getting it. (laughs) And just, you know, so she said it was a good experience all the way around. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious with both parents being teachers, Did you feel like they were always trying to teach you something on these trips? No, there was never that. I think they did it in the classroom. And so when we were outside of the school environment, it was really just being a family and experiencing life and 
yes, we learned things, but I never saw it as like a, more of a classroom extension. It was definitely separate life because it was pretty intense 24 seven being on a boarding school campus. And so they cherished going away and not having to be on and just being a family. Neat. As you grew up, what kind of employment have you had? So I was a very young student because I accelerated in grade school. And so when I got to high school and this boarding school had a work study program, so you had to work several hours a day as well as go to school. But I was 13 years old as a freshman. And so I was only allowed to work in agriculture. So the first day, this is during the summer before I started my freshman year, I went to work picking squash. Now, this is a very backbreaking scenario. And I got rashes on my arms and everything just, I mean, immediately. So that lasted one day. So the only other option at the campus was to work in a greenhouse. And so I was able to go work there and I worked there my whole freshman year. And during the summer between freshman and sophomore year, I got a call. I had just finished a water fight in the greenhouse, which we weren't supposed to do, but you know, I just looked fantastic, of course. And I got a call from the registrar's office and they were asking me to come interview to work in the office, which I was so wanting to get into an office job. And I had volunteered at registrations from many years as a grade schooler. I just loved meeting all the big kids that would come, you know, and that sort of thing. And so I went home quick and changed clothes into dry clothes. And I went up and had this interview, which was quite intimidating, but it turned out to be the most fabulous thing. So I spent the next three years and all summers working in the registrar's office and got to kind of run the registrar's office as a student worker the summer I graduated because my boss finally felt she could take a summer vacation. She had someone in the office she could trust and take care of things. And so that was really exciting. And when I went to college, I worked in the dean of students office. I worked as a resident advisor. I worked in the dean of admissions office. I also was a TA in the intro to physics lab. I was a grader. And ultimately in my graduate program, had opportunities to work in the aerospace industry. So I did fellowships with General Dynamics and with Northrop Electronics Division. That was my senior project. And then during the summers, I got to work at Rockwell International down in Southern California. I did four summers with Rockwell, all in different capacities, but incredibly rewarding and One summer, they let me use the helicopter to go between locations. I mean, I was a very spoiled student worker, let me tell you. But, you know, all led to bigger and better things as I got out of school. So when I was graduating, I had two degrees. I was a master's in industrial and systems engineering and an MBA in international finance, which was all about just getting as many tools in my toolbox as possible. I really wasn't clear where I wanted to go at some point. But it was all things I enjoyed doing. So having those two degrees and the options available to me, I wasn't sure I wanted to stay in the aerospace industry, which is the experience that I had gotten so far. But I really liked finance and international travel. 
And that was a real big thing that I wanted. And so as I interviewed for jobs, the one that wasn't necessarily going to pay me the best, but she guaranteed me international travel is the job that I took. And so I started working with Security Pacific Automation Company, which was a wholly owned subsidiary of the bank. And within the first year, I traveled to Hong Kong and started working there. So that started a international exposure from a finance perspective, but as a systems engineer to financial institutions. And I worked in many countries all over the world. And after 10 years, I was at Bank of America at that point in San Francisco. And just felt like time to move on to something else. I was pretty involved in a very small pillar of finance and I wanted to be more of a general project manager to do other types of products. And so begged my boss to let me go (laughs) because there were severance packages to be had at the time. And I finally convinced him. And so I was able to leave the bank with a very good parachute and ultimately still worked in financial related service type stuff, but as a consultant and then worked in a startup company. And ultimately it became a thing where I needed to put myself into more of a service role where it wasn't about making the money, but about helping other people. I felt I really needed a big shift in my life to not be so stressed with my work and wanted better balance in my life. And so I took some time off and helped some nonprofits. Ultimately, that led me from California to the state of Washington, where I started working for a college at the time. It became a university. They asked me to come on for three years. I was able to extend it to six years. But in the course of that time, I was the associate dean of engineering and met my now husband. So the transition to Washington was really a God thing and helped me to find that balance in my life that I was seeking. Oh, neat. So you moved up to Washington. Did you say a job took you up there or you chose to move up there? A job took me to Washington. I was living in San Francisco at the time, was helping nonprofit. And the university had actually reached out to me several times over the course of my working career. And I just never felt in a position, prepared, whatever, to go teach at a university. And my parents being teachers, I don't have their patience. And so I didn't think I would even be a good teacher to begin with. And when they reached out in a way that was sort of a joint appointment between recruitment and the School of Engineering, where I was going to help recruit students to the program, they wanted me to travel. And, you know, so it's like, you know, okay, this sounds like something I can do. And I'm at a point in my career that I feel like I can contribute back in a classroom setting as well. And so just seemed like the right timing. Yeah. So it was the job that took me. Oh, neat. Is there anything else about your family that you wanted to share? I have a sister. She was a math teacher for many years, also a school administrator, and now works at the superintendent level. So we're still in education in a big way. 
Um, my dad was a physics, chemistry, computer science, taught geometry for a few years, but you know, mostly on the science side of things. And my mom was the math teacher. So <laughs> came from a lot of math science stuff. One little funny story I have to share with you is that my mom, before I went to first grade, she taught me to count starting with zero. And when I got to first grade, they started counting at one. And so I came home telling her, why am I so different? I learned you count with zero. And I was telling everyone they were doing it wrong. And I was, oh goodness, it started off wrong already. So my sister got taught it starts at one, but <laughs> she was the pure math person, you know, it starts at zero. <laughs> That's funny. I can only imagine how your teacher reacted to you telling her she was doing it wrong. Well, besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do or that you've done in the past? So my mom used to get the subscription box when I was a young kid and every month was some sort of different craft. I loved those. I looked forward to those so much. So, you know, I've had a play at lots of different kinds of things. I can remember quilling. I can remember the nails and the string art, you know, and that sort of thing. But she really taught me how to sew. And she made a lot of my clothes. And so by the time I was eighth grade, freshman year, if I wanted my own style, I had to make them myself. <laughs> so I learned quickly so that I could make my own. So that's where I learned how to sew. My grandma taught me how to crochet. And I just recently got some crochet out again because I traveled to Iceland recently, twice in several years. And picked up some yarn over there. And so I wanted to do something with that. So that's been kind of fun to play in that again. My grandma also taught me how to China paint. And so I have several China painted items, you know, that I got to do while I spent like a week during the summer with her, several different summers. So that's fun. When I think China paint, I'm thinking plate. What kind of China did you paint on? Lots of different plates, but I also did a teacup and saucer. And she would paint bowls. She painted glassware, but mostly plates. Yeah. I also really enjoy photography. My dad was big into photography. And I find that I don't have good options right now in taking a lot of quilt photography, but I try to get out in nature. And when I can do quilts in the wild, that's really fun. So. Oh, cool. Is there any other hobby that you wanted to mention? I'm a stamp collector too. <laughs> oh, that's probably it. <laughs> well, I enjoy buying stamps and I just found my Shirley Temple stamps again. So I am thrilled. So when you collect stamps, are you collecting the bigger plates of a collection or just the single stamps to put in a book? When I was eight or 10, I got like the stamp honor, you know, and I had to get like a thousand catalogs. So those were all very individual stamps. But in my adult life, I discovered blocks, which is a four pieces, which is all together and has the little print number that shows the printing on the edge of the sheet. And so if you save a block, those are supposed to be worth more. And so I'll usually save six so that I have the block of four and a spare to use and one to put in a book. So haven't put any in a book in many, many years, but I still collect them. I especially like love stamps. And so 
I'll kind of anything that has a love stamp associated with it, I'll collect back. Do you think some of these hobbies show up in your quilting? I don't know how much my other hobbies show up in the quilting. I know that I've taken aspects of them and incorporated them. I don't know if visually they seem that way, but like one thing my grandma taught me in the painting was that to make something really look white, put a little blue next to it. Hmm. The white then really starts being white, really feels white. So even in a quilt, when you're dealing with colors, that's an aspect. If you want something to really be crispy white and you have blue next to it, it'll help do that. Can you tell me about who introduced you to quilting or how you started the quilt? So I had a run-in with quilting when I was about 11. My next door neighbor, who was considered sort of an extra grandma to us, was convinced that it was a rite of passage I needed to make a quilt. And so since my mom had sewn many of my clothes, we pulled from the scraps of those and made a sunbonnet Sue and an overall Sam matching set of each of these different outfits that I had from the scrap closet and tied it, backed it with a Holly Hobby sheet. Oh yes, and I still have it. And I thought I would never make a quilt again. That was checked off the bucket list. Not that it was on my list, but it was on hers. And that was it. But when 9-11 happened, I was not working at the bank anymore. I had friends, former colleagues who were on the phone with people in the towers when it went down. It was really felt a little too close to home and impacted me in a pretty significant way. I noticed that our church was doing a quilting session and I thought, well, I can get up to something better on a Saturday night than that. But on Sunday, I went and made a flag. We were being very patriotic then and they showed me a scrap bin and I just kind of made this flag and I still have it. I've come a long way. <laughs> but that sort of started it. The next month, the teacher who was leading out ended up in a car wreck and she couldn't show up to class and I was all ready to take the class. And so I just stood up and led the class. I didn't know anything. I read the book. I read what we the pattern, what we were doing. And so we just let out and I suggested that as a learning process, each of us make, we were making color wash hearts is what the technique was that we were learning. And I said, let's all make a heart block and I will put them together. The teacher had wanted a duvet for a long time. And so I made it into a duvet. I didn't have to quilt it. Ha, perfect, you know? And I just made it into a duvet cover for her. And she did recover ultimately, but for several months, I just started leading out in the group. And I moved not long after that to Washington. And I found the whole process very therapeutic. And the guy that sat next to me, his wife was a quilter in my job. She was a quilter. And so she invited me to the local guild. I traveled a lot, so I couldn't do much, but they would hand out a block every month as a block lotto. And I would win those occasionally. I could make a block a month. You know, that was something I could sit and do for a little bit. In my travels, I got to collect a lot of fabric and curate a wonderful stash. And in 2009, when I got married, part of the process was leaving the other job 
And my husband was going to be in a role in his own job that was going to every couple of years move. And so it seemed that I needed to be self-employed. That would be a smarter way to keep the family together. And given this passion, I had learned by then how to long arm quilts, but always rented a machine and wanted one myself. But this sort of enabled the process. And I got a gamel long arm and started doing it out of my home. And that's how the business started. When you say you were moving every couple of years, I'm thinking, so you got this wonderful gamble machine, but you had to take it apart and move it every couple of years. How hard was that? So the plan was that. And what ended up happening is the job he was with after the first two years, which turned into two and a half years. They decided to not put engineers on location anymore. And so that whole idea got thrown out the water. And he ultimately that year got a new job, which is where we're at now in Grand Coulee, Washington at the Grand Coulee Dam. And he loves it here. And so we aren't moving. (laughs) (laughs) I was just picturing you have to take that whole thing apart. There is a funny story about moving it to here. So it's a special 10-foot table. So normally the tables are 12 or 14 feet long. And a 10-foot table can actually fit inside an expedition. Window to window. (laughs) And so we loaded it and drove it at night with a little bit of like soft foam on each end of the table rollers. And it was strapped two directions in the car so that it would not move one way or the other. And we drove at night to get it up here and then reassembled it back in the shop. But, oh, my goodness, that was just crazy. (laughs) I figure you were holding your breath every time you went over a bump. Yes. (laughs) Do you have a favorite quilt? You know, I have several quilts that have won recognition and those have favorite status for certain reasons. My spinner quilt, which was featured in the AQS quilt calendar, not my own quilt, but someone who made one like it just last week. And so I've been getting lots of requests for the pattern this week. And I made that quilt so many years ago. So that's just kind of a fun bringing it back. But that one won EQ's layout challenge. It was a North American challenge and that one won. And so that one got on Quilting Arts TV. That was pretty exciting. So that one is sort of a favorite for that reason. But I also have one that I called Rosie's Bomb and B-O-M is capitalized and then a lowercase B, so like kind of a block of the month because it's a sampler quilt, but has Rosie the Riveter, the original We Can Do It poster right in the middle of it. It won a ribbon at an AQS show And I didn't make it to be in a show. I just made it because I love Rosie the Riveter coming from my engineering background. And someone really encouraged me to get it into a show. And so I put it in several different shows and it won a ribbon there. And that ultimately led to a book deal with AQS. And I got to co-author a book that we now have in a second edition and are self-publishing because they're not in the publishing business anymore. So that's a favorite for a lot of reasons, just because of my engineering background, but then it led to a lot of other adventures on this quilting journey. Wow. How fun. While you're quilting, 
What tool are you so happy that you have? My gamble? <laughs> I had quilted probably a hundred quilts on my domestic machine when I decided to do the business and get the long arm and that sort of thing. My shoulders were done. I was like, I want to keep making quilts because there's something very tangible about a craft that you can have something as a result and give as a gift of love or comfort to someone else. So I wanted to keep making them and I knew I just needed to go in that long arm direction. So it is definitely the biggest enabler (laughs) that has helped me move on with what I'm doing. In the quilting process with so many steps, do you like a particular step or do you like each step along the way? There are definitely certain steps that I get a lot more satisfaction out of than other steps. Once I mastered doing a binding by machine, then that wasn't such a chore anymore. But I think the part I get the most fun out of is trying to figure out a design that says something to the recipient. I also really enjoy trying to take whatever fabrics I have to work with and making them work within that design. And so understanding values so you can use multiple fabrics in the same way, but it's there's all the same value. I taught a class one day and all the students were making different quilts, but they were all turning 20 by Trisha Cribb's designs. But I had to keep each one of them going on each of their own separate ones throughout the class. And it was one of my highest like classes of my own experience teaching a class because I had to keep them all going at the same time. But one person came in with just fat quarters. And so the challenge was to take just her fat quarters and make it work with all the design. It wasn't really a fat quarter friendly quilt. It was a little bit more advanced, but by grouping them by value, she was able to get it done. It was stunning. And it reminds me of a quilt that I did a sort of a guild challenge It was called American Beauty by Marty Michelle. And she had a beautiful collection that I wasn't interested in at all. And I had won on a shop hop, a huge Hoffman Fabric Batiks fat quarter pack. And so I did the same sort of thing. I grouped them all by values. So if I needed two yards of a particular fabric, well, as long as I had eight fat quarters of similar value, then it would work. And it was an amazing looking quilt. (laughs) It looked kind of psychedelic because... Those batiks had a lot of sort of psychedelic looks to them, but it was very rewarding. I really love that sort of challenge where you're taking not really a scraps, but a set of fabrics, limited quantities, and still making it come out stunning. Oh, cool. I wish I could do that better. So that is something I'm going to be working toward, especially as I get more and more scraps of material. Yeah. Share your worst quilting experience. Well, that spinner quilt that I talked about earlier, when I went to block it, which was a learning process in and of itself, it bled horribly. So there were some fabrics that I sort of grabbed last minute in a couple of the blocks that I didn't realize had loose dye. And so that dye just bled all over the place. I was under a deadline to get it into a show and all that sort of panic. And it had to go to the show that way. I didn't know how to get it out. And I was under that deadline because I didn't really see the bleed until three days into the drying. And then you're ready to bind it. And uh, now what? So 
I learned ultimately, and I actually took the binding off and I re-blocked it and I actually got all of that dye out. So, <laughs> oh my, I can't imagine taking the binding off once you have it that far. What do you think has drawn you to making quilts rather than spend your time on something else? I think that when I made a quilt after 9-11 and found the therapeutic result of it, it really resonated with me. I'm not a big reader and no offense to those who love to read, but I've got nothing to show for it when I'm done reading. When I'm done with a quilt, I got lots to show for it. And it also can be a gift of love, a gift of comfort. It can provide so many more things. And I think that the engineering side of me gets to play. I say that I engineer quilt projects now. And I just I enjoy having that end result that shows your creativity, but also is practical, can be used for warmth, can be used as a hug when someone you know needs that. Mm-hmm. Love that answer. Thanks. Who do you usually make your quilts for? So if I look at all the numbers of quilts that I've made at this point, um, it's mostly for samples for the business. The first hundred that I made were mostly for charity. (laughs) I was involved at that point in a group that that was one of our objectives. And so it was a great way to learn and I could give them away and they had lots of fabric that had been donated. And so it was easy to do that. Here in Washington, where I'm at, I have made several quilts of valor and you know, give those to our veterans. But for the most part, it's samples, you know, for my quilt covers and been very blessed to be a quilt pattern designer for three different fabric companies. And so they send the fabrics to make those up. And that's a lot of fun. And yeah, very grateful to Island Boutique. Worked with them for many years and more recent years with Northcott as well as now with Free Spirit. I'm never quite sure how to word this one in that I'd like to ask if you have a special project going on right now, but it seems like quilters have many projects going on. So I'm thinking the question should be, how many projects do you have going on? Well, funny you should ask that. Every year on my blog, I do an annual review and it's sort of my whip, my works in progress review. So I show what I've finished, what's still in progress, that sort of thing. And uh, there's 20, 30, I don't know, somewhere like that <laughs> going on at any given time. Yeah, just finishing a couple of patterns right now. So I just finished several quilts that'll be pattern covers. That's most of the stuff. I've got some long range stuff. I just finished a project at the end of the year that I've been working on for 15 years. I went to Alaska in 2007 for a wedding and the Alaska shop hop was happening. And so I went to as many of the shops as I could get to and purchased the kit and the block that they had on offer. And if you got all of them would make like three different versions of a quilt, depending on how many you got and included a mountain scene, a Northern light scene, or like all of them or something like that. And so there are trees and there are mountains and there are stars in the sky. And I didn't do the Northern Lights version. That was going to be a lot more piecing. 
But during the pandemic, I decided I needed to get that out and get her wrapped up. And so 15 years, I got her done. (laughs) Yes, so many of us have that one back in the corner that we know is still there. (laughs) Share a quilting tip. So one thing that I use a lot is on trimming a quilt. So after you have quilted it and you need to trim it, For my utility quilts, I don't typically block them. So I can do this trimming right when I'm done long arming it on the back of my long arm machine. And I have cutting mats that lay on the back sides that I have to remove if I'm going to do a pantograph. This is all hand guided. But if I have the mats down and a June Taylor shape ruler, which has all those little slots, either quarter inch or half inch, she has two different styles. You can run one of the slots along the edge of the last seam. So like the border seam all the way around and just trim it evenly. So I'm not even looking where the cutter is. I'm looking where the slot at the seam line is and leave the cutter in the slot at zero, right? And just run it along. And that makes it trimming so easy. And you get an even border, which I find at that stage of the game, you're not trying to square the quilt. Hopefully you've done that in the process. But at that point, you want an even sized border all the way around. And that makes for a quick trim. Wow. So you had quilting as a hobby and now it's become a business. Can you describe that process? Yeah, so I enjoyed the therapy of it. And when my husband got this new job situation, it just seemed right to have a business doing the long arming, which I thought from a cash flow standpoint was really the quickest way I could start cash flow. I didn't have an interest in creating a big inventory, you know, running a fabric shop or anything like that. But as a service, I could provide long arm quilting. And so I did that in my home. When we moved, we found this little shop that I'm in now that's about 350 square feet. So it's not very big. It's a standalone building though, right at the center of town at the main street and the highway. So I have a great vantage point to look out on all the things happening in town. And people kept stopping by saying, do you have fabric? Well, I'm just a long armor. I'm here to provide a service and It just seemed like a market was there because they kept asking. So I started bringing some fabric in and brought some of my own personal stash in. Since where I had moved from, the colors were green and orange. I decided I didn't need so many green and orange combinations anymore and brought that in. But that wasn't as attractive to everyone either. So I started getting the color wall of Northcott, Toscana, and ultimately this big grunge wall. That way you had a color that would work with someone's project. I found people were coming in, not wanting a brand new project, but they needed one or two more fabrics to go with their project that they already had started to curate. And so I needed that full color wall in order to make it work. And so I'm now over supplied here because we have a very small town and I started doing some online work with my business and started that prior to the pandemic. And so it was a very profitable endeavor because when the pandemic hit, I was available to a lot more people than I would have been. And that was a good thing. And it sort of encouraged me to look for more space. And so a year and a half ago, we bought an older building half a block up the street 
that's 2,000 square feet. <laughs> and it's been a very slow renovation process, but we're renovating that. And that'll allow me to have classroom space as well as my retail space, long arm space, office space, all the rest. The business has just continued to grow very, very slowly. But when my husband wants to leave, he wants me to leave with him. And so that's part of the challenge is it's got to be a thing that can work with our family, but also give me some satisfaction on a day-to-day basis when I want to be out of the house and feel productive and a purpose. And I know we can't see the beautiful fabrics behind you, but I get to see them. So it really looks nice. Tell us the name of your business and how did you come up with that name? So the business is Kissed Quilts, and that's capital K-I-S-S and then lowercase E-D, Quilts, because as an engineer, one of the things that we say, keep it simple, stupid, the KISS method. And for a while, I had a consulting company that I called Keep It Simple Solutions. And so when I started the quilting company, it just seemed to make sense to try to stay in that same KISS sort of mode. And so I came up with keep it simple and stunning. And so that's sort of the tagline, keeping it simple and stunning. (laughs) Stunning is much better than stupid. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And did you mention how long your shop has been open? I've been in business since 2009. We moved to this community a little over 10 years ago. So this physical shop has been operating for about 10 years. Great. How did you start professionally quilting for other people? So when the opportunity arose with my husband's job to get a long arm machine, it was kind of fun how it all worked out. I was in Houston at the same time as Quilt Market and my husband was there for training in his new job and we got permission from his company to allow me to join him because I was going to be there on business too. The gal that I learned to long arm from was willing to sponsor me to go to market. She knew I was going to be creating a business. And I got to go there and test all the different machines. And my husband got to talk to the technicians and we made a decision about getting the gamel. And so once it was scheduled to arrive, I made like 12 different kinds of quilts. Some were just a panel but I intentionally chose different quilting styles for each one. And my intention was to just give them to charity. So there was no pressure and I could just experiment and enjoy the process. So I did that. And literally I was quilting on the 12th one and a friend of mine called me and said, one of my colleagues at work has a quilt she needs to have quilted. Are you ready to start quilting for people? And I was like kind of freaking out. Uh, sure, right, of course. And so it arrived and she wanted custom quilting on it. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. So, you know, you just say a little prayer and hope that it's all going to work out and trust your process. Because when I was at market and festival, I took as many classes as I could from a whole variety of long armors. I heard lots of different ways to do things. And I tested that with those 12 quilts. and. When I originally learned from the local gal, my lesson with her, and then I put on a quilt immediately at the end of the day and I quilted out the seaweed. I think they call it a garden twist where you have like a lattice structure, usually with flowers and a lattice. 
Well, mine, the background was fish and the lattice looked like kelp. That's how I pieced it. And so I quilted out seaweed and she's like, you have a gift. You, you need to do this. And so I had had really good support and affirmation that I had a talent and that I needed to exercise that. And so I definitely was nervous, but I also had to rely on that confidence that had been given to me that I could do it. I really could do it. And I did it and it probably wasn't perfect, but you know, the client was happy and on to the next one. And it just kept coming. And I have now quilted over 900 customer quilts. Wow. I keep track of it <laughs> on my posts, on my social media, you'll see CQ and then a number and that's customer quilt and the number that it is. And we're over 900 now. And I do my own maybe 15 a year, you know, so there's been a lot. So that's how it got started and just really been enjoying the journey and helping others create treasures. Wow, that's a lot. You mentioned on your website that you offer design services. How do you walk a client through that design process? And then are you the one quilting it for them or you've just walked them through it so that they can quilt it? So my design services sort of run the gamut. I will design it for you, make it for you, deliver it to you or design it for you and you can make it yourself. And the process goes like, depending on how much you want to be involved. So I've had clients that want to make something for someone else. They don't want to do anything in terms of the making. They want me to totally do it, but they know the colors. They know shapes that the recipient likes. Those are some of the questions that I ask. Maybe a particular motif, floral, geometric, you know, whatever. And so then we come up with a rough concept. And sometimes I have them look at my website and see different patterns that I've done. Maybe there's a particular pattern that I've already designed that they like, but they just want certain color or something like that. But I'll come up with an estimate of what I think it'll take to do. And they need to pay up front a portion of that. And then when the quilt top is done, another portion of that. And then we make a final decision on the quilting and finishing processes. And then they pay the final when it gets delivered. Sounds good. Communication is key. It really is. And I find that now with technology, Zoom, Skype, whatever, we can do video calls. They can physically see the fabrics that I'm auditioning or testing or considering. I'm going to say, no, that would totally be the wrong color or whatever. And it just helps them be a part of the process. And sometimes they want to be super involved and sometimes they don't want to be involved at all. I've got a great story about my first commission. It was a high school classmate of mine who reached out and her daughter was, I think, 12 years old at the time and was going through a rough journey of life. The mom wanted to make a quilt for the daughter and give it to her as an affirmation of this journey she was on. She was trying to come out of some bad stuff and just wanted it to be something of support and it needed to be a total surprise. Okay. So we were emailing back and forth and I was sharing design concepts and colorations and all of that. And her daughter saw the email, which ultimately resulted in a conversation that the mother could have never begged for, but was the most beautiful conversation. I got that quilt done. It was the first commission that I completed. It wasn't my first commission, but it was the first completed commission. And it got there Christmas Eve. 
and became a beautiful treasure, you know, for her. Yeah, that whole situation is a sad story. The daughter has now died, but I'm grateful I got to be a part of a special time. Wow. Quilts can really bond people. Yes. And are such treasures. That is so neat that you got to be part of that. Yeah. And I really like to stitch into the quilting when possible things that only the recipient will understand. And I find that that just gives it so much more of a meaning to them. Oh, neat. I really hadn't heard that before. I tried to put the kid's name pieced in the quilt or at least embroidered onto the quilt. But in the stitching of the quilting, a special message. Wow. Tell me what an EQ artist is. Well, the spinner quilt that I talked about, I was using the software electric quilt. And that's what EQ stands for. Well, at the time when I designed that quilt and winning that, I later was asked to be an EQ artist. And so EQ features me on their website and talks about the things that I design and how I use EQ and that sort of thing. We're up to version eight right now, and I still use it all the time. So what number were they at when you started with them? My first version was probably five. My sister got it for me for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> How exciting to be an EQ artist because it is such a popular software and I love the program. So I'll be watching for your name. I was very honored that they asked and continue to keep me there. Cool. And you're an island boutique designer. What does that include? So for many years, I was an island boutique ambassador, which they get two boxes a year with their partners. They send you product and you, through your social media, share what you're making with them. They issue lots of challenges. And so you're on theme to the challenge, create things. But as a designer, I'm given the advanced electronic images of the fabrics for each season. And then I pitch designs using those that I mock up in EQ. And then they select what they want for their catalog to help promote their fabrics. And I create patterns if they get selected. Sometimes they don't get selected. I still create a pattern and promote the pattern myself. But if it gets into their catalog, then all of the shops that are purchasing Island Boutique fabrics are seeing those patterns and hopefully contact me to buy the patterns. Marlene, is there anything else about your business you wanted to share? Looking forward to moving to our bigger space. I don't know when that will happen, but if you're ever in the central eastern part of Washington state, would love to have you stop by, call ahead since I'm the only one around. But yeah, I would love to have people come and visit. How neat to look forward to a new space to work in. How cool. And where can we find you? You can find me at my website, kissedquilts.com. You can find me at Instagram, marlene.kissedquilts. You can find me on Facebook, kissedquilts. And I have a very baby YouTube channel. Marlene Audie, 
but my hope is in the new space to have a proper sort of permanent studio location where I can film tutorials. Nice. And as always, we can find your links on A Quilter's Life website. So Marlene, thank you so much for sharing with me. I appreciate it so, so much. Thank you, Paula, for the opportunity. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.